Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make marriage less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. This is going to be a bit of a different podcast because I'm just going to be telling a bit of a story. I don't have a major point to make today. I just want to tell you some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's been happening since that whole Love and Respect series uh, that I wrote in January and how my eyes have been opened about how naive I was. I'm going to get a little bit serious in this podcast and just share some of the stuff that's been on my heart lately. And I have brought on um, one of the wonderful young women who works for me, uh, Joanna Swatsky. She writes some of my blogs and does a lot of um, my researching. So hello, Joanna. Hi there, Sheila. How are you? <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm kind of depressed, actually. <laughs> And you know why. And so <laughs> I thought that we could enlighten people, but I think that we need to start with a bit of a story. Um, so I, when I get upset, re- listeners, and I, I do this quite a bit, when I get upset, um, I'm an extrovert. We talked about the MBTI personality types last summer on the blog, and I'm an extrovert. I'm an external processor. I need to talk about it. And so last January, um, I started reading the Love and Respect book, and I would read it, and I would get really mad, and I would FaceTime Joanna, <laughs> and I would read little bits to her, and then I would get her mad, and I ended up writing a whole series on it um, for a week, and I talked about some of this in some earlier podcasts as well, um, but I was really blown away by that book, and specifically, just for those of you who don't know, what really disturbed me was that the way that he, that Emerson Egridge portrayed sex was so off. He talked about it as only being about a husband's physical release. And that's actually what he said, a man's physical release. That that was the purpose of sex. And it wasn't about intimacy. It wasn't about the woman feeling good. And it was just such the wrong message. And then as we started looking at the rest of the book and seeing what it said about respect, again, very wrong message. And I've shared that before. I don't want to belabor that too much. But what happened that week was that we were inundated with comments and emails by women who were saying, I was really hurt by that book. Uh, It enabled my husband um, to be selfish and to keep abusing me. And so at the end of it, what I was thinking was, well, how can we change the conversation? How can we let people know that this book is really bad? And the book is put up by Focus on the Family. So Joanna and I were talking and Joanna, what explain to our listeners what your background is, like academically and all that jazz. Yeah, so I have a bachelor's degree in microbiology, so I can plate a lot of E. coli if you'd like, but that actually isn't what we used in this particular scenario. Um, My pipetting (laughs) skills were not required. Um, But uh, I have a master's degree in public health focused on uh, epidemiology, which is just the statistical side of health research. And um, health research is defined really broadly. And actually, in all my classes, we would talk about spiritual health and um, relational health. And um, marriage and family is something that I've become very passionate about. And um, I realized, as Sheila and I were talking, that there was huge implications for what we were seeing. These women reporting you know, men using the ideas in this book to facilitate abuse was really disturbing. And so um, 
Sheila suggested that we do a bit of a review of the comments. And I said, well, then we have to do a thematic analysis and it's just going to be fabulous. And yeah, um, we... and you had you had the statistical program, which you used. And I went totally over my head. But I'm like, you go, girl. Oh, <laughs> yes, I absolutely. <laughs> I got to pull up my coding skills. I mean, it wasn't that impressive, but still, it was very fun to get to do some yeah. of that again. Um, and and so... uh yeah, we then so we put together an original post just looking at the comments, and then we went back through, did all the comments again, analyzed it very, very carefully, and um, prepped a rather large report to send to Focus on the Family. So that included um, five different findings, a whole bunch of statistical methods, and then I sent them absolutely every bit of code that they could have needed. Yeah, and and we 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 published this report. It was all based on comments and emails that came in. Um, I the report's thirty one pages long. You can download it. Okay, I'm going to leave it in the description of this podcast and the blog post about this podcast, so you can download the report and read it. Um, but it's just it, it's it just gives a big analysis of the main themes that that were in the comments um what were i think you divided into five main themes didn't you joanna yeah like yep i did so that the the posts about love and respect were really popular we got a lot of reader interest about them and so that just showed that people care about this stuff and it, it is important to them they are interested in hearing about um the impact of these books on people's marriages yeah the first thing we tried to show was look People like this attracted way more traffic and way more interest than my average post. Like this is a serious thing. Like people actually really did care about this. So we wanted to tell people, okay, this wasn't, this was an aberration, you know, like this really struck a chord. So we we showed that. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And we proved it statistically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we found that generally um, people were more negative about love and respect than positive in the comments. And that was actually not what we would have expected because um, what you've noticed in the past, Sheila, and what you told me to kind of expect was that we would get about half and half positive and negative comments. Um, but that isn't what we found at all. Instead, it was it was almost all negative about the book. Um, but occasionally we would get the, oh, I really liked the book, but... Um, and mm-hmm. actually I coded that and it was the, was the majority of the um, people who said that they liked the book had a... Had lot, there was lots of caveats in there. Um, mm-hmm. And people who said that they, you know, their spouse had disliked her, that they hadn't been able to put their finger on why it had rubbed them the wrong way. But now that they'd read the post, it sort of illuminated it to them, which was really, right. um, yeah, good to see for sure. Right. And then the next one uh, was that love and respect has the potential to harm and that it can be used if a spouse um, doesn't want to do the right thing, they can use the book to facilitate abuse, um, manipulation, it's really easy to say, well, I'm not loving you because you don't respect me enough, or if you would only respect me then. And that isn't, um, that's giving to get, not just giving to your spouse. And there's Mm -hmm. also an idea in the book that if you keep giving to a spouse who isn't giving any, like if, if your spouse is manipulating you and you keep allowing them to manipulate you, and you could just continue loving them as opposed to calling it out, right? Because that's the actual loving thing. But if instead you're just sort of allowing them to continue manipulating you, that you, that is service rendered unto Christ and that you'll be rewarded in heaven. And while certainly we will re- be rewarded for good things that we do, um, having boundaries in your life is absolutely crucial. 
And knowing right. when to get out for your own safety and for the safety of your kids is so important. And I was just really struck by the lack of important, important places in the book. I would say, ooh, but if someone is reading this and their spouse has uh, cheated on them, or if someone is reading this and their spouse is abusing them, this teaching is um, dangerous for them. And if we're going to be writing stuff for marriages, we have to be really careful that whatever we say is applicable to those who are in terrible marriages, who are struggling with abuse, infidelity, whatever the case may be. Because frankly, if you're in a marriage that's struggling, you're more likely to be reading a marriage book because you're looking for help. So if, mm-hmm. if this book isn't, you know, is, is being said, oh, it will work for your marriage, but then it's um, dangerous for those who are in the worst marriages. It's really a colossal problem. Yeah, I love it. Let me just read one of the comments. Um, this woman says, this book belittles women and can break their spirits, especially in abusive marriages. This is how I felt when given this book to read during my abusive marriage. It simply reaffirmed what my abuser preached from sun up to sundown. I was the problem. I was the one walking in sin. Thankfully, a dear friend walked with me through leaving and healing. She helped me understand that I mattered, that my feelings, thoughts, and voice mattered. Sadly, I still hear this faulty teaching in churches. Someone close to me recently encouraged me to keep quiet about my concerns with my new husband because I was blocking what God was trying to do in his life. She told me that even though I had valid points and hurts, I needed to put those aside for the bigger picture, that my husband was supposed to be the head and lead so my family will be blessed. I'm sure this person meant well, but I could not reconcile the notion that speaking up about hurtful things, being um, put down, having my feelings being dismissed could be out of the will of God. After reading this post, I see what bothered me so much. The advice given was very much like what comes from love and respect. Keep quiet and show respect. You know, and that's the kind of comment that we got over and over again. And some were a lot worse than that. Some were actually talking about overt abuse. But I mean, this is what this thing facilitated. Yeah, no, I had to take regular breaks while I was reading through the comments because it was just so incredibly awful. You know, it was um, one of the more difficult experiences of my life to read through these stories of women who had been so badly hurt. And um Obviously, you know, our pain in reading them is nothing like the pain of those who are um, being um, abused and manipulated. And, and I, I also want to be really clear that it isn't Emerson Agrich's fault. It's no, one, no teacher's fault if someone uses their teaching to do bad things. But right. if you care about people, then you should care that people are using your teachings to manipulate and so if reports come back to you that, hey, this is a problem, it's it's worth looking into and stepping in. And that's part of why I was actually, after doing all of this, I looked at the um, documentary that Joshua Harris was a part of um, about I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Goodbye. Um, and I survived it, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah, that's, yes. what, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I just was so encouraged by his humility, frankly, in, in recognizing the hurt that had been caused by his book and then making sure that he did what he needed to do to make it right. And I, I just was so encouraged by that in contrast um, to what I suspected we were going to encounter with um, the love and respect conundrum. Yeah, because and that's the thing is we were just so naive. We were honestly so naive. And so, you know, we're putting together this report here. Tell us about the last two findings. Yes, absolutely. So So the next one is that love and respect puts an undue burden on women and ignores their sexual needs. And this one was really sad to me. There's a, there were some points in in love and respect where it kind of um, actually stated very overtly that if a woman quote, lets herself go, that she bears some of the blame for her husband's cheating on her. 
And I just want to point out that that is absolutely horrible. Everybody, we are all responsible for our own sins. And um, as someone whose life has been very affected by infidelity, not in my immediate family, but in my extended family, it's just so offensive to me. And I just want to make it very clear that if your spouse is unfaithful to you, that is on them. It isn't on you. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Mm -hmm. we've all got our own stuff to deal with, but we all need to own what is ours and not what is our spouse's problem. Um, Additionally, there's just a lot of stuff in love and respect that makes women feel that they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. And that really Mm -hmm. comes into the, the fifth finding that we had, which was that while love and respect will say, and it does say that it is about both going both ways and both men and women should be showing love and respect, Ultimately, essentially, you have, you, know, you should have men respecting women, women respecting men, men loving women, and women loving men. Well, the book talks all about how women naturally love their husbands and how good they are at that naturally. And it talks about how husbands need to show love to their wives. And then there's a lot of emphasis on how women need to respect their husbands. Now, respect is never defined, so it's no. it can be anything, right, it, as that... Um, Yes, as many commenters pointed out, it's really convenient because it gives you a lot of leeway. Mm-hmm. But then there's only one place in the book does it say that husbands will respect their wives. Because the problem is, if we talk about how husbands are going to respect their wives, then everything he says about how women should be treating their husbands also applies to how husbands should be treating their wives. And so logically, the, the whole point of the book just doesn't work. Right. Yeah, and and so that was a huge comment that we got. And so I, this this report, this thirty-one page report, all it is really is just giving percentages of how many people reported this, and then giving women stories over and over and over again. Um, you know, women who say you cannot submit your way out of a violent situation. I tried, and it doesn't work. Um, you know, over and over again, and it was just heartbreaking. And so we prepared this report, <laughs> and I sent it to focus on the family. And I honestly thought they would listen to me. I mean, I have a good relationship with them. I've been on the radio show several times. I know them. Um, I know many of them by name. I have their email address, like the whole bit, right? So this was this was a friend writing in saying, oh my goodness, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is really dangerous stuff. And so, you know, I'm sending this report to you and I just urge you to read it because we need to protect, you know, your listeners and you don't want to be part of this. And then I asked Focus to answer a couple of questions. Like I said, just for clarification, you know, do you think that it's wise to say that sex is only about a husband's physical needs? Um, You know, do you think that women should be told that they're supposed to respect their husbands even when their husbands are are straying and drinking? Um, Do you think it's wise to tell women that they're supposed to go back to abusive husbands just because those abusive husbands repent? You know, like I said, is this this a smart thing? Like, is this a safe thing? And I honestly thought they would listen to me, Joanna. (laughs) Like, No, we all did. We all thought that they would totally listen to us. It just made so much sense that they would read this and we figured you know they probably hadn't thought through it very hard you know there it was new leadership you know mm-hmm. some stuff gets grandfathered in you know we're like okay because yeah, well, the book the book was published in 2004 and since then there's all new leadership at focus on the family so yeah we thought that we thought that people would listen and and then you know we were just really naive and it reminds me i gotta read you all this um 
I, I kind of feel like I'm going through what Beth Moore went through. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you all have been following Beth Moore on Twitter, uh, but she has just she has just been really awesome lately. And uh, she did this big thread that started a big rigmarole. People were attacking her for preaching on Mother's Day. And then she just, instead of taking it, which Beth often does, she just decided to speak up. And she said this. I've got to read you these tweets. I had the eye-opening experience of my life in 2016. A fog cleared for me that was the most disturbing, terrifying thing I'd ever seen. All these years, I'd given the benefit of the doubt that these men were the way they were because they were trying to be obedient to Scripture. But then I realized it was not over Scripture at all. It was over sin. It was over power. It was over misogyny, sexism. It was about arrogance, about protecting systems. It involved covering abuses and misuses of power. Shepherds guarding other shepherds instead of guarding the sheep. And here is what you don't understand. I have loved the SBC, that's the Southern Baptist Convention, which Beth belongs to, and served it with everything I have had since I was 12 years old. Alongside any other denomination, I will serve it to my death if it will have me. And this is how I am serving it right now. So she was saying, you know, I am serving the convention by speaking up about how awful and how sexist this is. And and I just love what she said here. She had this eye-opening experience back in 2016. And I can honestly say that I have had the eye-opening experience of my life in 2019. Because I never knew love and respect was this bad. And then after this whole thing, when Joanna, when you were writing the report, you asked to borrow the book and I gave it to you. And you, oh. I swear you call, you call, you texted me every 20 minutes for the next yep. two days. With I did. I, I kept going up to my husband. He'd be giving my one-year-old daughter a bath. And I'd be going up, honey, no, I can't believe not again. No, it got worse. This, uh, it was, oh, it was so bad. And I genuinely, I had read through all of these comments multiple times. I had gone through them. I had done a true thematic analysis. I was not um, primed by having read the source material. So that was actually a really good research move by us. Well done, Sheila. <laughs> um <laughs> But then I'm reading this book and I keep going, oh my gosh, it's worse than I thought it would be. Oh no, it's worse than I thought it would be. Oh. Yeah, we were surprised that it was as bad as it was. And um, and, and we just really thought that, that Focus on the Family would listen, that they wanted to hear from us, and that they would be willing to hear that, hey, guess what? You just need to take it, edit it, and put out a new edition. That's really all we were asking for. Mm-hmm. We were, yeah, like just recognize that this is, as it stands right now, is a harmful book because it, people can use it to justify abuse and people can use it to justify really bad stuff. But also, I mean, one of the big passions that I have is if you are a woman growing up in church and all you ever hear is that sex is about a husband's physical release, like forget the whole respect thing and abuse thing for a minute. If all we're ever taught is that sex is about a husband's physical release, how damaging is that to women's sexuality? To never hear that sex is supposed to be about intimacy, to never hear that sex is supposed to feel good for her too. Like this is really bad. So I honestly thought, I honestly thought focus on the family would listen. And so like Beth said, she had this eye-opening experience in 2016. For me, it was actually reading the book 
um, which had been recommended by every marriage thing I've ever been to, which has always been touted as this incredible book. I even, the funny thing is, okay, this is totally embarrassing, but I even quoted it in my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Um, I needed a quote for something. I knew that something about showing your husband respect. And I do think that you should show your husband respect. I just don't think it should be the way that he talks about. But I found a quote. I used it um, in my book. I never realized what I was quoting from. <laughs> no, and, and, and the thing is, you know, Sheila, it's it's not just about husbands, wives should respect their husbands. It's also that husbands need to respect their wives. And that's really the piece that's missing is that, you know, yeah, we absolutely should be respectful. But first of all, the way he kind of tacitly defines respect doesn't work because it's essentially giving him all the power and that's not what respect is. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it's just not a two-way street. Um, and and I, I would also, unfortunately, like to remind you that you also gave it a Goodreads review. I did. I did. I mar- Yeah. And then I had to I had to re- retract that and, and change my Goodreads review like that. Like, but I think that and this is what I talked about earlier is, you know, you just assume this stuff is good because everyone, absolutely everyone talks about how great it is. And so when I actually read it I, and I was just I was really really thrown. And so, you know, we wrote to Focus. Um, I, I followed up with Focus several times. Several of my readers have also sent notes into Focus on the Family, and they have gotten replies, although I have not. Um, and they have gotten replies, and the replies have said that the book was never intended for a difficult relationship, and um, so people in difficult relationships shouldn't be reading it, but we believe the message of the book is good. Well, okay, he clearly says that if your husband is drinking or straying, you need to respect him. So he's talking about marriages to alcoholics and infidelity. And in several of his anecdotes, he talks about a husband who is physically abusive. So if we're talking about marriages to alcoholics, to people having affairs, and to people who are physically abusive, I'm not quite sure what could be worse. Yep. Like Emerson Egridge himself in the book has all three of those things. So I'm pretty sure that the book is meant for people with bad marriages. So I, I really didn't find their answer sufficient whatsoever. I just want to also say that authorial intent. So like, what did the author mean by this? It's, it's a really important way. Like when we look at scripture, you have to look at what did the author intend by saying this in whatever psalm that you're looking at. But when it comes to a book about marriage, we also have to be looking at what fruit is it bearing. And if the fruit is bad, if there are people who are reporting that, oh, this book has hurt my marriage, it was used by an abusive spouse to hurt me, then that really, really, really needs to be looked at. And Mm -hmm. I also just want to point out that in the book, there actually is an anecdote that he brings up of a woman who reports to him that her spouse is using the ideas in this book to hurt her. And so these, this was known to Emerson Egrich before the book was actually published. Right, that the, that the, that the message could be weaponized. So anyway, so, so as I was writing to Focus, and I was, I was hoping to hear from them, and I didn't, and then I started thinking, like, what do I do now? Because I've been sending people to Focus on the Family for counseling and all kinds of stuff, and now it's like, I don't know if I can trust them anymore. And so, you know, I don't, I don't have a quick thing that I'm trying to say in this podcast. Usually I have some great words of wisdom to let y'all in on um, or something. I, and I, I just wanted to share with you what's been going on behind the scenes and what our heart was. Like, we really did. We we wrote this report, Joanna, and we thought that it was going to do something. Yeah, no, it's been rather disappointing. 
we just thought people would care. Like we on, I, I honestly thought people would care like that, that these, that these women's stories would matter. Yeah. And I think that it's really important that we did assume the best. And I think that th- that was the right posture for us to have, but that also just makes it doubly disappointing when people don't listen. And uh, mm. I just really hope that the message will continue to get out, that the report will be widely circulated and that, in people's churches who are listening, that if you see love and respect being uh, supported from the pulpit or in a marriage small group, that you are able to speak up. We, You actually put together, Sheila, a list of uh, points that you should talk to your church about and, and even a letter that people can send to your pastor if the, if the book is being promoted, just so that you can explain to them why there are some problems with it and, and what are some better resources that you could be using. And maybe you're like me. You know, maybe you listeners are like me and 2019 is going to be the year that you just have the most eye-opening experience. Maybe it's not 2019. Maybe for you, it'll be 2020 or 2021. I don't know. But I think it's happening to more and more of us where I just honestly thought that people wanted healthy marriages and that people who fought for marriage were promoting healthy marriages. And I've just realized they're not. And I'm really sad. Like, I got to tell you, listeners, I'm really sad. But it's going to make me do it all the more, you know, like we are going to be here and we're going to be talking about how to just love each other and how to serve each other and how to respect each other, but how to create a marriage where you're pointing to Jesus. Absolutely. And a marriage where you both love each other and where you both respect each other. I just want to remind everybody, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? We say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, your will be done. The aim of our life is to do God's will. And in your marriage, just do God's will. And what does that mean? That means showing the fruit of the spirit. (laughs) It means loving mercy. It means acting justly. Um, It means all of those wonderful things, but being transformed into looking like Christ. What it does not mean is enabling sin. And it does not mean following your husband's will. And that's where things have gotten really off track. And as soon as we get off track from aiming for God's will, lots of really icky things happen, including messing up basic doctrines of the Trinity. So let's just get back to Jesus, people. Can we please do that in 2019? And maybe then Beth Moore won't have to do these major Twitter rants and I won't have to do these podcasts where I'm so depressed. So um, again, if any of you want to take a look at that report, it is going to be in the podcast description. If you want to see the uh, the article that I'm talking about on Focus on the Family, you can look at that too. And if anyone has any great ideas on what we can do about this, let me know. But I just want all of you to know too, if this has been an eye-opening year for you, you're not alone. You are not alone. I think God is doing a really big shaking. And so let him shake, even if it hurts. And we'll just see where we all end up in the end. Okay, that was a pretty heavy way to begin our podcast this week, talking about just how floored I am that some people just don't get it. And so I thought that we would continue with that theme for our millennial marriage segment. And I'm actually going to combine millennial marriage with our comments section, where I like to highlight a comment or two that have come in on the blog, because I have some awesome comments to talk about today with Rebecca and her husband, Connor, who are joining us. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Okay. So Jason, (laughs) this week I wrote a post about what to do if your husband checks out other women at the beach. And we were discussing in the comment section about how uncomfortable it is for women to be ogled. And one commenter 
Jason said this, and I am going to read it. Um, this all sounds so sad to me because do women even like men? Why don't women have trouble with lust? It isn't cool what women go through, but it's also not cool that we as guys aren't considered sexual beings in general. I would trade places with a woman, even a harassed woman in a New York minute. And then Rebecca, you and I spent the next few days trying to set him straight and he kept commenting and digging down deeper on this. Yeah, like, but why don't you like to be harassed? It means people think that you're hot. And I'm like, dude, yeah, you know, <laughs> just so many levels. No, like you don't ask someone, why do you enjoy? Why can't you enjoy having this bad thing happen to you? Because at least it's happening to you. Yeah, that's the problem. You're conflating two things. You're conflating sexual attention with harassment. And mm -hmm. It, it's like, no, sexual objectification, women do not like it. And we usually and very often experience it as threatening. Yeah. And we tried to explain this and he just didn't get it. I'm going to read one more comment and then I'm going to let Connor jump in on this. But after explaining to him ad nauseum, like seriously, this went back and forth through many, many, many comments. Um, Jason said this. Let me make this analogy. Let's say guys were given a new pair of shoes every day for free. And most guys were like, I don't care about shoes. I don't like getting new shoes. Stop giving me shoes. Many women, even most women would be like, what? Are you kidding me? What's not to like? I would love to get a new pair of shoes every day. And they would have little sympathy for men. Do you see my point? So guys, can we see his point at all? Well, I mean, I personally feel like getting sexually harassed and being treated as an object is very similar to having a pair of shoes not given to me for free. Is that is that sarcasm? Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. No, seriously, it was just so offensive that he would consider that to be an appropriate analogy. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, like, being treated like an object is not the same thing as being given a pair of shoes. Like, he's treating it as if, like, it's this gift. It's this this privilege that you get to be harassed and you get to be threatened and you get to have your life in more in danger than others because people see you as a sexual object. And you know what? I had some, th I had some sentiments similar to those that Jason is expressing here. When I was 13, fresh out of being a homeschooler, entering into high school, you know, when I was just a little kid, I thought... Yeah, you know, if I could have a girlfriend or even just have a girl have a crush on me, that would indicate that I have worth. And that's that's where I can draw my worth from. Uh, I've since moved on and grown up and realized that sexual attention is not a biological need. That's not something that I'm entitled to. It's not something that if I'm being deprived of it, I'm being persecuted. And it's not something that I should base my self-worth on. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can understand the guy saying women get flirted with all the time and women get all of this attention from guys and I just want some woman to give me this attention but he's not recognizing that that's almost an immature way of looking at it and I, I don't mean to label guys as all immature because okay Connor I obviously don't think that you're immature but you yourself was saying this is what I was thinking when I was 13 it's not yeah. what I'm thinking now and yep and for for a man to say I just want sexual attention I think there's two big issues with that. And maybe we can talk about both of them. But the first is that for women, getting sexual attention from strangers is threatening. And so, Becca, let's talk about what that looks like. But then there's also the bigger issue, which I know Connor wants to jump in on later, too, is that being objectified 
is not fun. Even if it's not physically threatening, it's not fun either. So let's just let's just try to get this threatening part out there, which I don't think that he quite got, even though we tried to explain it. Well, and this is what I was trying to explain to him in my first couple of comments. I kept on saying, like, I think you're conflating flirtation with objectification. Mm-hmm. The reality is you go to church or you go to an activity or you're in class and a guy who you kind of know comes up and starts flirting with you is a very different experience than walking alone on a street and having a dude start calling out, hey, nice butt after you as you're walking. Or something it's, worse, yeah. Exactly. It's usually something worse. You know, it's it's a very different experience. And he just kept on digging in his heels, saying like, no, it's not actually threatening because odds are you're not actually going to get raped anyway. Like he said that. Right. But women don't know that. This is the thing. Women don't know that. Exactly. Like when we, when we go out and a stranger makes a comment on our bodies, we have no idea. If that's if, the one who's going to follow you back at, to your car or not. Right. Because even if 99 of them wouldn't, one of them might. And you have no way of knowing which one that is. And the only sort of marker you have is how they treat you. And if the only thing that you know about this dude is that he was willing to shout out something obscene at you in the middle of like a crowded area or in a public place, what the heck would he be willing to do in private if he could get you alone? Right. And I think the other thing that he's not getting is he's picturing getting flirted with by some really attractive woman <laughs> but the majority of times when we're catcalled it's not by really attractive guys you know it's it's by older guys or it's by guys that are scary like i i said on twitter you know man i want you to picture being in a really really bad neighborhood at one in the morning with gangs on several corners and having to walk along that road that is how women feel all the time when we are in parking garages by ourselves or stairwells by ourselves or just a dark street with no street lights at night you know yeah. we are constantly on alert and yeah. it's really scary and so to say that this is a positive experience that men wish they had well that just shows that you have no idea what most women go through at all well, and, and on the note of the attraction thing, I actually feel like I'm, I probably experience this differently than you do, I guess, even, because usually if an attractive, young, strong-looking guy, like, who, in a normal context, I, like, before I'm married, lovely, don't worry, <laughs> like, I may, like, you may, you may have flirted with as well if they started chatting you up in class or something like that. If he starts catcalling me, I am so much more scared, because I immediately picture Brock Turner. I'm sorry. The guy, the guy, the swimmer dude who was, Yeah, uh, Brock Turner, the given- rapist. The rate who was only given six months and then got out at three. Yeah. No, but like, it's like these, these young, like, I'm not, like, it's not just about attraction levels either. Like, that's what a lot of people say is like, yeah, well, you're just mad because the dude was ugly. Like, no, it's because there's something threatening about it. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. something threatening. And, and even if the guy looks like a model, it's threatening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just plain being objectified, even if it's, even if it doesn't, if, if it's not in a threatening situation necessarily, being treated like a sexual object is demeaning. Yeah. It really is demeaning. It, it absolutely is. And this is, this is where I want to go off on a little bit of a rant. Because one of the arguments that this commenter kept coming back to, uh, or one of these counter arguments he had, was that Rebecca and Sheila, you guys just couldn't understand the male perspective you you couldn't understand what it's like to not receive that sexual attention and that's uh that's just a male issue that's a male struggle uh and that it's it's different you guys couldn't relate couldn't understand couldn't take his perspective so 
I want to provide my perspective as a male who has been sexually harassed on a number of occasions. And it's not generally a threatening thing because, you know, there, there is a bit of a difference in society and in how those things tend to happen between men and women. Uh, men, the situation is often a lot less threatening. Not all the time, but that's at least been my experience. But in terms of the objectification, I just find it ridiculous that you could have this notion that being sexually harassed or being catcalled could be a positive experience. Because I have had girls call out to me from cars driving by before. I've had them call things out to me in a sexually harassing manner. I actually had to have, uh, when I got a supervisor position at one of my jobs, I ended up having to get one of my co-workers, one of the employees there, fired because of a big issue that she had with sexually harassing me over the phone one day. Mm -hmm. It was quite bad. It was quite bad. It turned into this whole big thing. Upper management had to get involved. And it is not a pleasant experience because the thing I think that this commenter is confusing again is that flirtation with objectification. When I am being objectified, when I am having these catcalls thrown my way, or when I am being... Uh, sexually harassed or spoken to in a certain way, it has nothing to do with me or my value or my worth as a person. It is all just about me being an object, me being a tool through which they can satisfy their desires, even if it doesn't, even if their intention isn't for things to end up in a sexual fashion, they're deriving a pleasure from making those calls, saying those things to me, they're getting entertainment from it, you know? They might be uh, laughing with their friends and shoving each other around like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about the person being objectified or harassed. It's not about their humanity. That's been discarded. And whether you're a male or a female, you are simply being used as a tool, used as an object for them to satisfy whatever they are trying to satisfy. And that is in no way a pleasant experience. I've been very uncomfortable in all of those situations where it's occurred. You don't know what to say, you don't know how to respond, and you just feel gross. Yeah, you do, because objectification essentially says you do not matter mm -hmm. except in what you can do for me. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I think that's the big difference between flirtation and objectification, right? Like when I was in university, like even now when I'm married, for instance, flirtation, even though it can be awkward for both partners and I'm like, yeah, my husband agrees that I'm hot, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. Like, like it can be uncomfortable. It's never threatening. And it's like both people can kind of laugh it off and move on. Like, oops, sorry, didn't realize. Mm -hmm. Right? Although that would be hard not to realize now with the size of your stomach. Uh, yeah, I have thankfully been flirted with zero times since being <laughs> obviously pregnant because that would just be, <laughs> yeah, with my with my husband and everything right there. Um, no, but the thing is, when it comes to flirtation, you make the connection as a person and that's what the flirtation works with, right? You're talking face-to-face, -face, you're usually in a shared space or you've got some sort of connection, even if it's just at a coffee house or something. You go up to a cute person and you're like, hey, like, do you know if there's any other places around here that have this kind of thing? Or, and then you get talking and then you're like, yeah, I just noticed you and thought this and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Like, it's totally different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, you know, I had an employee end up getting fired because they were sexually harassing me. 
but I've also had other work I've also had other workplaces where I've had my coworkers innocently and lightheartedly flirt with me and completely different completely different so I mean it was all done in the name of fun it was lighthearted they came at it from a perspective of respect they already respected me as a person they were joking around they were doing some light flirting and it was not objectifying it doesn't make you feel gross afterwards it's just <laughs> it's just yeah. something you can laugh off yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, so you know, I understand that some guys really wish women would pay them more attention. And so when they hear women complaining about how much attention they get from men, they may think, well, I wish that could be me. And I wish women understood, you know, how sad we are when women don't pay us attention. But it just is not the same thing. And guys, I got to say, and this is what I kept saying to Jason, maybe the reason women aren't paying you attention is because you don't understand women. Because the fact that you could keep going on and on about how women's harassment is not really that bad. Because, well, at least you didn't get raped. So what do you right. really have to complain about? Because he kept on saying that. He kept on pretty much saying that. Like, well, if you weren't raped, then it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, it's like, okay, that is why women don't hang out with you. Because you're creepy. Well, frankly, <laughs> if I had a guy friend in my life when I was single who had that kind of attitude, I wouldn't feel particularly safe being around them. No, absolutely not. And so maybe it's incumbent on more men to understand what women go through and how threatening just life is so often for us. But yeah, so much of it just comes down to respect and respecting other people's dignity in how you approach situations in life. Like if I'm just walking down the street and it's late at night and I'm on my way home and I see that there's a woman on the same side of the street as me walking a ways up ahead and I pick up on her body language, you know, she's glancing furtively over her shoulder at me as she walks. I respect her and I pick up on the body language and I decide, you know what, I don't have to, but... I think I'm just going to cross over to the other side of the street just so that she has a little bit less to worry about because that's just respectful. It's just going a little bit out of my way to make someone else's life a little better. Yeah, because like, obviously we know you're a good guy who would never do anything, but there's nothing for her to actually know that would prove that. You're a yeah. stranger to her in that situation. Yeah. And it is scary out there for women. It is. Yeah. And you know, Cat calls are not nice. They are not nice. We are not looking for them. If we go to the beach, we are not wanting men to be staring at us. Now, okay, there's always going to be someone who says, well, that 21-year-old girl dressed like that, she definitely wants to be stared at, and I don't know her heart. Maybe there's a few of them who do. Whatever. But the vast majority of women do not want guys checking us out and staring at us. We honestly really don't. Or if they do, they want that one guy who they went to the beach with to check them out. And so if you're a dude who's at the beach and there's a strange woman that you don't know who's there looking hot, maybe just don't stare. Because odds mm -hmm. are she's not looking for you. Maybe I'm asking a lot of men that I'm asking guys to just understand that women do find a lot of life threatening. And maybe that is too much to ask of guys I don't know but I've seen so many comments and it didn't just happen on this post it happened when I posted on um, how women we shouldn't talk about women being stumbling blocks it happened when I did my post on uh, how men are visual um, but does that mean that all men lust I had I had a guy uh, several guys actually saying I just wish that women would lust after me so this is a common theme that happens a lot on the blog of men saying I just wish that women would lust after me and I just want guys to understand how terribly offensive that is to women. Please understand that. I don't know what else. I don't, I don't know how else to make the point, but 
please understand that for women, life is very threatening. There is always that awareness that we need to be vigilant or else we could be sexually assaulted. When guys come on to us in a sexual way, when they're total strangers, that just simply is threatening. And to not understand that, that just really belittles sexual assault. And that is why I think sexual assault is still not taken as seriously in the wider society is because guys are not understanding what women go through on a daily basis. And so maybe this whole podcast is just saying, hey, people, wake up, (laughs) you know, wake up to what's really going on. I was surprised that guys still have have the attitude that Jason does. I was surprised that even after all of the comments that we made and other people made, he still didn't get it. Obviously, we have a big disconnect out there in society and people are not getting this. So guys, please listen to us. It is not fun to be objectified and it is threatening when guys do it. Full stop. End of story. And so please stop telling us that you're jealous of us because it doesn't work and it just makes us think you're creepy. Thanks for joining us for this rather heavy episode of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I hope that by adding my voice to some of these issues, we can start to change the wider Christian culture. Understanding that women's experiences do matter and that women are serious when we say we feel threatened or we feel like our needs are being ignored. I hope the focus on the family wakes up, but this whole experience has really propelled me to do something about this. And you'll be hearing more about our future projects in the next few weeks. For now, though, keep up with us in the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we are always talking about how to make marriage and your sex life good for both of you, because that's what God intended. 